Our scripture for this morning is uh, two parts of a longer passage from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. This is a, a period in the Gospel where Jesus is in a kind of dialogue back and forth with some scribes and Pharisees and people who are challenging him, trying to catch him up, trying to catch him in making a mistake, trying to find contradictions in his teaching. And here we learn the kind of teacher this Lord is from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Then they sent to him some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Now, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius, a coin, and let me see it. And they brought him one. Then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title? They answered, the emperor's. And Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and Seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, Which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one, and besides God there is no other. And to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all those burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any question. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. <laughs> Holy Lord, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. This is the second sermon in a little two-part sermon series on the church. Now there's a problem with this sermon series. 
Because, you know, there's been about 2,000 years of thinking and writing and preaching and conversation and arguing about the church. And here I am trying to resolve all of that in two sermons. Not bad, huh? Well, not quite. But at least a little start. Last time I asked, what is the church in its ideal what is the church for us? And I used some scripture about the early church and decided on three I words. The church intrudes in our lives like God with the Spirit. The church introduces us to Christ. And the church inspires us. This time, the question is, what is the church for the world? Now, we get tripped up on that question a lot in the church. A lot of our arguments, especially these days, are, these days are about just that question. What is the church in the world, for the world, about the world? If I chose three I words last time, I chose three R words this time. Not that God pays that much attention to the alphabet, but try this. When it comes to the world... The church, at its most faithful, reminds, remembers, and renews. When it comes to the world, the church reminds. I love that account that we read from the Gospel of Mark. It is so simple and so to the point and worth thousands of years of reflection and thought and another thousand beyond this one. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. Now, in one sentence, Jesus summed up an entire Christian social ethic. It comes up again in the first letter of Peter. When there is a flip that we don't even see today in that text, in the second chapter, the author of 1 Peter writes to the early church and, and exhorts them, calls them, encourages them, and says, Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. In the world of the early church, Roman citizens were actually taught something different. Roman citizens were taught to fear and love the emperor. Now, in that world, these words from 1 Peter are as radical as those words of Jesus. Honor the emperor, but don't love the emperor. Love the church. Honor the emperor, but don't fear the emperor. Fear God. Honor the emperor, but don't just honor the emperor. Honor everyone. The conclusion is clear in that one sentence. There is nothing special about the emperor. Honor the principalities and powers of the world. Give them their due, but do that in the same way that you would honor everyone, the powerless as well as the powerful, 
the disenfranchised as well as the enfranchised. Give them their due, give each their attention, give each your respect, but don't align yourself or yourselves with the powers of the world. Take time to think. Make distinctions. Keep your priorities straight. Stop playing politics as if it is a sporting match. All of that in one line. The church is called to remind the world that it is the world. Now, it ain't nothing, since how we order society together has a real impact on God's good creation, on people, on animals, on nature. But it ain't everything, since there's more to what God makes than what the world sees or what the world schemes, or what we do as part of the world. Politics, science, economics, culture, or for that matter, religion, are smaller than what they pretend to be and need truths and values and dreams from beyond them. The church is called to remind the world that we're not God. And for that matter, that the church isn't God either. But I should also say that as we do that, we do our reminding in a very particular way, which brings us to my second R word. When it comes to the world, the church also remembers. Remembers. Memory. Memory is an important theme in historic thinking about the church. And the word that we use for it goes back to Greek philosophy. It is anamnesis, the remembering at the very center of our worship, at the retelling of God's great acts in the middle of our communion prayer before we share the Eucharist. It is the prayer at the beginning and at the endings of our gatherings together. It is the question that is at the center of our mission, remembering stories that make us who we are, like living, healing memories that shapes stories of love and commitment. And it is also a re- Remembering, like the members of our body, arms and legs, remembering in a fuller way, like putting the pieces back together, reconnecting what has been broken, making it into a whole as we respond to and embody and enact God's story in how we do what we do. We make the story present, not just past. We give the story future by God's grace. And what is that story that we remember? That God so loved the world 
that God created, that God did not abandon the world that God created, but God moved within it in all its rebellion and all its wonder. God moved within it to be in relationship with it. In the gift God gave us of holy living, in the gift of the prophets to remind us, in the gift of wisdom for us to think together, in the gift of the Spirit for us to experience God beyond what we see, in the gift of God's self, in Jesus of Nazareth. In Jesus, God is as intimately present to creation as God could possibly be without obliterating our freedom. And in Jesus, God suffered the results of human freedom, executed for the sake of his love, but rising from a violent death with new life and a new body and a new gift of peace and love and power and purpose, not to condemn but to save, not to tear down but to build up, not to destroy, but to mend, not to shout down or shut out, but to whisper a persistent and life-changing hope for everyone. This is the truth that the church remembers because of Christ. And this is why we step out into the world because the church is healed by the same Christ that it shares. Which takes me to my third R this morning. When it comes to the world, the church in Christ also renews. That is what God intends for us. The church is called leaven in the dough salt of the earth, an agent of renewal, not a weapon of power. Our deepest work is actually often hidden. We're meant to model a new way of being which the world does not yet know and we only begin to see but still seek to live. We want to bless the world, not control the world. We want, in our better angels, in the words of the prophet Micah, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And so we speak an odd but beautiful language in the world with words like mercy and forgiveness and grace and justice and joy and salvation and healing and spirit, we speak and we also listen. We hold the pain of the world without being afraid of it. And we recognize goodness in the world no matter where it comes from. We can join with people and groups outside the church to do good, and we find our way in that as part of the world, but we don't sign on 
or join in on agendas that aren't ours or that don't meet the values and the truths and the Lord who has claimed us. It's the message you heard at the end of that section in the Gospel of Mark. When challenged to boil it down to one commandment, Jesus links faith and action together. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he praises the one who challenged him, forgetting what he was saying. You are not far from the kingdom of God, he tells the one who was challenging him. So we, too, as the church, when through all the messy stuff that we call church, we still find moments when faith and action come together. When our love of God can be seen in how we love our neighbors. When we tell the story of the one who reminded us that there is more than what we can see And so we become Christ's living body in the world. Despite all the drama of death and despair and confusion all around us, when we become part of what gives life, we renew the world in the name of Jesus. It's our calling and it is our extraordinary privilege And it is worth spending time in prayer and conversation about how to do it. I hope this excites you. I hope it unnerves you a little. I hope it woos you and intrigues you and draws you into the remarkable God-given stuff that adds up to the church in the world. Reminding remembering, and renewing. Amen.